Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 8 through 20, looking at a message entitled The Watchful Shepherds. The Watchful Shepherds. Now today we come to our third study regarding the people surrounding the birth of our Savior. If you can remember a couple weeks ago, we started with the woman that God chose to give birth and to raise Jesus. Then last week we looked at the man who God called to be his earthly father. And now today we look at the nativity through the perspective of the lowly shepherds that God chose to witness and herald the good news of the Savior's birth. And so I would believe that many of you in this room have heard this account today, but I want to approach it specifically from what did the shepherds experience and what did they see and what did they do? Luke chapter two opens up with the announcement of, right, that worldwide census by Caesar Augustus, followed then by the traveling of Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem because they were of the house of David. It was here that they had completed uh, for Mary to give birth. Uh, she had completed uh, that time uh, for her to give birth. And because there was no room for them in the inn, so they laid him in a manger, a food trough for animals. And that is right where we pick it up here in the narrative, right after the birth. Let's stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, and we'll read down to verse 20. I want you to have the perspective of putting yourself in the shoes of the shepherds this morning. Remember, of course, Jesus is the ultimate star of the show. But as we have been doing the last couple of weeks, we're going to ask the question of why these shepherds? Why would God choose them uh, amongst all the other people that he could have announced uh, the Savior's birth to? And so we're going to be looking at it from their perspective. Look at verse eight with me. The Bible says, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there's born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling, swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an, the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. 
But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Father in heaven, we thank you for this account, this story. Lord, we thank you for this announcement. God, that you didn't go to the social elite at that time. You didn't go to the wealthy or the famous. You went to the shepherds and you announced to them the greatest events in all of human history, the fullness of time where Jesus was born. God, we pray that you would give us insight into your word, that you give us fresh eyes and a listening heart. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to start off our time this morning looking at the framework. Okay, verse 8 sets us up a framework, a setting, if you will. And what we find here is kind of three uh, pieces to this framework. And it's the fact that we're given a location, an occupation, and the timing. The location is the fact that it's in the same country. If you look at verse 8, that it says in the same country and it says in the fields. This would have presumably been in the hill country of Bethlehem. Uh, if you ever have the chance to go to Israel one day, all of us will be there one day uh, in the millennial kingdom. Uh, but Bethlehem uh, has incredible hills surrounding the city. There's the actual city of Bethlehem that's still there to this day. Uh, it is under uh, the Palestinian occupation uh, and not under Israeli territory. Uh, so it is a little bit different than many parts of Israel. However, within the hill country, its beauty is still intact and it goes on for miles. And so more than likely, these shepherds were not in the city itself, but they were out in the fields. Later on, when the shepherds go to see Jesus, we're told that they came to Bethlehem. But it also says that they were in the same country. The idea is that they were most likely out in the fields. And so when they had come to see Jesus, they then came into the actual part of the city in Bethlehem. But we also have the occupation. We're told that they were shepherds living and keeping watch over their flock. Now, we you must remember that though you and I now look at the occupation of a shepherd as something endearing, that wasn't the case thousands of years ago. We think of David, the shepherd boy, and we have this sweet sentiment about what he did, but it wasn't like that then. It was a job that was typically looked down upon. There was no glamour to it. It more, most likely would have been on the show, Dirty Jobs. I mean, think about it. Even when we find the shepherds, what are they doing? It's nighttime and they ain't sleeping. They are out in the fields living, not in a house, not in a tent. They are living in the fields with the sheep. It was a job that was extremely demanding. And here it was, they were at night and they weren't even sleeping. Now, I love the fact though, that they were just doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were shepherds. And what were they doing? They were shepherding. And it was in this faithful, hard work 
that God gave them the opportunity to be the first ones, other than, of course, Mary and Joseph, to meet Jesus incarnate or Jesus in the flesh. You guys heard that term, Jesus incarnate, or that he became the incarnated Messiah? That word incarnate simply means in the flesh. Jesus, they saw him in the flesh. Now, something interesting to note down, some speculate that these shepherds could have been those dedicated to watch over the flock, the lambs that would have been a few months later prepared for the Passover. Now, we don't know, but they certainly could have been. We know from history that there would have been many lambs that at the Passover would have been then killed for the sacrifice. And it usually was in the fields of Bethlehem that these sheep would have been raised, which would have been incredible in light of Jesus, what the Bible tells us becomes the ultimate Passover lamb of God. And then thirdly, the timing. Verse eight gives us the timing. It's by night. The timing is that it's by night. This account seems to indicate to us that it would have been the very same night that Jesus was born, as later on the angel says, for there is born to you this day. It would have been the same day, which it would have been the same night. This is also how we know that Jesus would have been born at night. It was the same day that the angels appeared to the shepherds. It wasn't a day later. It was that very same night. Now, something that we need to understand is that Jewish days are different than how we track our days, right? We track our days from midnight to midnight. Jews still to this day, they track their days from sunset to sunset. So the beginning of a day is actually when the sun goes down. That's the beginning of a Jewish day. And then the end of it is when the sun goes down again that following day. So what we have here is the fact that it would have not been too long after Jesus' birth that very same day, which would have been that very same night that the angels would have appeared to the shepherds. And so the framework is laid out for us in verse 8. And from here, we're going to focus on what these watchful shepherds experienced. And first, we find that they heard. They heard about what just took place from a very unexpected source. And we find this in verses 9 through 14. And that's the fact that they heard. What seemed like a regular night to the shepherds changed very quickly when an angel of God stands before them and, notice verse 9, that the glory of the Lord shone around them. This is a little bit different than the other angel encounters. When Mary in, encountered the angel Gabriel, we're not told that the glory of the Lord shone around. This was something that was a spectacle. They're out there, no doubt, on their own. It's the shepherds, the sheep, and the night sky. But here we have something seen. And the only thing that's seen is not just the angel, but it's this glory of the Lord. Now, what is the glory of the Lord? Well, this would have been 
the very manifested presence of God, which we find in the Bible, results in light. The Bible describes that God is omnipresent, right? Meaning God is everywhere at all times. But right now in this room, we do not see the manifested presence of God. We have lights on, but you would know if the manifested presence of God, which is described as the glory of God, would be present. First John tells us that God is light. So when God shows up, there's light. Do you remember when Moses asked to see the glory of the Lord? In the book of Exodus, Moses gets to this point when he says to God, show me your glory. And God then hides Moses in a cleft of the rock and his glory, the manifested presence of God, which results in light that would kill you if seen. Okay. And without, uh, in all of its glory, so God hides Moses in the rock, passes by, and just the remnants of him passing by made the face of Moses glow like a glow stick, right? The, the story goes that he then goes and sees the rest of the people of Israel, and they're freaked out. Like, Moses, your face is glowing. And he has to put a veil because it just freaked them out too much. Or what about on the Mount of Transfiguration when the bright cloud overshadowed, we're told, James, John, and Peter who were there when some of the glory of Jesus began to come out of his human uh, skin. Or what about, think about on the road to Damascus. Paul, what did he see? He encountered God and it was something that blinded him. And so this wasn't for the purpose of blinding the shepherds, but really showing the grandeur and majesty of what was taking place. This was not a normal announcement. This was an incredible announcement that the glory of God shone around them. And notice the initial reaction of the shepherds, right? We, it was one of our trivia questions. They were greatly afraid understandably so. What we know about the manifested presence of God, it's not something that you take lightly. It's something incredible. But then the angel begins to speak. And once again, the angel tells them not to be afraid. This seems to be a rather common line for angels to say when they have an announcement. And why should they not be afraid? Well, notice Verse 10 and 11, because the angel has got good tidings of great joy that is for all people. Verse 11 describes to us what these good tidings of great joy are with a what, who, where, and when. And this is just uh, an easy way to look at something we've looked at so many times. Verse 11, of course, is in songs we sing and plays we watch and all the rest, Charlie Brown what, who, when, and where. What is the fact that someone is being born to you? So it's not just someone being born. People are born every day, but this was someone who was bo born to all people, who it's a savior, who's Christ the Lord, where it's in the city of David. And when? This day. Remember, the Jewish day begins with sunset. So this was only a little while ago. It was still the same Night. Remember, the city of David is Bethlehem. Why? Because that's where David was from. 
Remember when Samuel found Jesse and the sons and David was in where? He was in those fields. He, he worked in the same fields that now these shepherds uh, were working in yet hundreds of years later. And so we have the, the, the good tidings. This is, this is the fact that they didn't have to be afraid because he brought good news. He brought good news. And then verse 12, he gives them a sign. He says, this is how you're going to know where this good news is. It's going to be a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Now, these cloths is somewhat what they would have expected, uh, meaning that a baby typically when it's born is, is wrapped up, it would have been tightly wrapped around the baby, uh, and it's called, to, and, and the term is swaddling. This is to, of course, bring them comfort. This is, to, this is something, right? They're used to being uh, in a very closed environment. So this, this in, in some way replicates that and brings comfort. Yet this was a king, according to what the shepherds heard. And so they would have expected royal linen. But we're told that the shepherds tell them, no, the sign is gonna be that it's just gonna be cloths. But what about a baby in a feeding trough for animals? This is something they wouldn't be able to miss. This would really be the sign to them. You know, with the type of announcement that was given to the angels, the shepherds could have assumed. Let's say say the angels left out verse 12. Look in your Bibles, look at verse 12. Let's say they left that out and they just said, go to Bethlehem. Then they probably would have gone to the nicest place in Bethlehem. They would have gone to the nicest hotel uh, and, and assumed that there would have been people crowding around. The Messiah, in their mind, would have been born with the nicest linen. And the nicest, not a trough for animals, but a nice crib of some sort. Yet we find quite the opposite, which was to be the sign, right? If they told them what they had thought, then it wouldn't really be a sign. The sign was the fact that this was something abnormal, This was something not usual. But then notice, right after the announcement, verse 13 and 14, heaven could barely be held back. We're told that suddenly or in an unexpected, immediate way, there was now with the angel a host of angels, which means a whole lot of angels, and they were praising God. Notice it says, the, the line that was also on our trivia, says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now, this is a phrase that we hear a lot. We sing and as well as we should. Listen, if heaven sings something to God, then we should probably be singing too. That, that, that's a good thing. That's why in Revelation, we see these songs of angels. We adopt those within our worship uh, because if that's what heaven is worshiping, then, then we should as well. But look at what it's saying, okay? The angels announce glory to God in the highest. They are recognizing the greatness of God. In the Bible, God, Yahweh, is referred to as God most high, which means he is deserving and worthy of the greatest praise. And that's what they say. Yet, we see this balance. Do you guys see the, the and, Right? That and then brings this balance that God is the greatest and there is no one greater and he's worthy of praise. But at the same time, he is not so great that he, he is uncaring. 
No, within his greatness, he desires peace and goodwill toward mankind. And he has, the reason they're singing this is because in Jesus, both is shown. The greatness of God, yet the desire of God to bring the Prince of Peace. There's no greater grace or favor or goodwill other than outside of Jesus Christ. We're told in John 1 that he is full of grace and truth. And truly, in the gift of Jesus, it displays this better than anything else. And so the angels heard the epic announcement to the born Savior, but after they heard, they saw. After they heard, they saw. Verses 15 and 16, I'll read it again to you. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us go down to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And so the angels returned to heaven, leaving the shepherds in awe in the open field with their flocks. They begin to speak to one another and they truly recognize that this was something uh, from God. This was something made known to them by the Lord. And so they respond accordingly. They say, let us go and let us see. If you're taking notes, you might want to note that down. They say, let us go and let us see. They had an expectation that as they went, they were going to see what God had told them. They believe, but their belief takes them somewhere. That, that is faith. The shepherds display faith right here. It isn't just this empty believism, but their belief moved them to obey and to go as the angel of God directed. This provides for you and I a really good example of what saving faith is. They didn't just talk about going. They did, right? The angels leave. They start talking to one another. That was insane. Man, let's go. And they, oh, but the, but the sheep. Ah, oh, should we stay? Because, you know, who's going who's gonna to look after them? No, they don't make excuses. They don't believe it and then stay. But their genuine belief moves them to go. They didn't just talk about going, but after they were told, we're told that they made haste. It's not necessarily the idea that they ran to the city, but it's that they didn't hesitate in going. They made haste. They moved quickly. Similar to what we saw of Joseph. Remember Joseph last week when he had that dream and we're told that he was aroused from sleep and went immediately to do what he was told? And same for you and I, we ought to make haste in coming to Jesus. We ought to go to him without hesitation because his invitation still stands to this day, come to me. Yes, the shepherds were the first ones that were able to see Jesus in this way, but through the eyes of faith, you and I can still see him uh, to this day. Now the shepherds though, they certainly had a choice, did they not? Did the angels transport them to the scene with the manger? No. Did, did, did they get teleported? Did they, were they given horses to ride there? 
No, the angels didn't provide the way. They had to go on their own. They could have just stayed with their flock. They could have done what the religious leaders did later on in Matthew chapter 2. When the wise men came looking for Jesus and the religious leaders knew where he had to be born, but never took any time or effort to go see him, right? Matthew 2, you guys know the scene. The wise men travel. They, they, they get to Jerusalem, close to Bethlehem. They alert Herod of, you know, they, we, they saw this star. We've come to worship the king. Herod goes and gathers up all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquires of them, hey, where, if the Messiah was to be born, where, where would he be born? You think they didn't know about the wise men? No, we're told that the wise men stirred up the whole city. Yet they knew, they tell him, according to Micah 5.2, this is where he would be. But do we see them go? Do we see them go and worship the king? No, they choose to stay back and let these, these foreigners, these people who God supernaturally revealed, right? God had to go outside of the norm. He had to go outside of Israel because they were of hard hearts. We see that to be the reality when Jesus gets older, right? 30 years later, who does Jesus have the hardest time with? It's not the shepherds. It's not even the tax collectors. It's the religious leaders. But don't miss it, that as they went with haste, we're told, look at verse 16 in your Bibles, that, that exactly what the angel told them they would find, they found. Listen, this is how it works for anyone that truly seeks the Lord. I want you to write this down. When you go, you will find. When you truly seek the Lord, the promise of scripture is that you will find. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 and 14 says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. The shepherds, they went, they obeyed, they put their faith in trust in Jesus and they found just what the angel had told them. And for you and I, when we are willing to search for him, we will find everything that he has promised to us. All that he has, all the promises of scripture are found when we seek him and believe that he is in a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, after they had seen him and the fulfilled promise of God, they couldn't keep it to themselves. They told everyone they could. They told everyone they could. Verse 17 picks it up. It says, now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. I love this. Because when you truly see Jesus, you can't help yourself but to tell others about him too. Now, we're not going to see Jesus in the manger. We're not even going to see his physical person yet. But when you encounter the Lord, and I believe you can, I believe in a sense we can see Jesus. That's why the Bible says, look to Jesus, the author and finisher. Because when you look with faith, with eyes of faith, you can see him. And when you encounter Jesus for real, you want to know, I don't know if I've really ever encountered Jesus. Do you have any desire that other people would know about him too? 
Because one of the sure signs that you have seen him is that you want to tell others about him. They became the first evangelists of Christ and they couldn't help themselves. Look at verse 17. It's almost like given what they heard and they saw, they just said, oh my gosh, they left that manger and they said, I just can't believe what happened. The angels, the lights, the announcement. And then he was there, but he was like a baby and he was in a manger. Why was he in a manger? What is going on? You know, this is how we are with good food and a great movie, right? We go somewhere to eat. Oh, you got to go there. You got to see this movie. It was so good. But how much more should we be like that with the one who has saved our souls? I think their, their tenacity here to go around Bethlehem and tell everyone what they heard and saw is a great testament uh, to you and I. And not only did they tell everyone in the city, so it seems, but notice verse 19, they had told Mary what they heard and saw, right? They didn't just see like, oh, there's Jesus, let's leave. No, there was most likely a conversation with Mary and Joseph. Yeah, it was crazy. We're just watching our flocks and then boom, light, angel, and said we'd find him just like this. And I'm sure Mary and Joseph, who also had an encounter with an angel, right? They probably said, oh my gosh, what did he look like? It was probably Gabriel. And they might've exchanged stories. But we're told that all the people, including Mary, because it says everyone they told, they marveled. They were amazed. They, they were in wonder. They were astonished. This is one of Luke, the author, his favorite terms. This term is found 13 times in his gospel and six times in the book of Acts. Now, what's interesting to me about this, though, is that whatever came about this marveling, they marveled, they were amazed, but then what happened? We aren't told any details, but it doesn't seem like much because they continue, we know that they continue to live there. It seems like they had got a house. They had, they had some permanent residency for a little while in Bethlehem until the angel had told them uh, and, and the wise men had come and then they left for where? Egypt. So they were actually in Bethlehem for a little while, but it doesn't seem like anything came of it. And here can lie a danger in where, here's a danger for every one of us. We can be amazed at the things of God, meanwhile, never experiencing it firsthand. Wow, that was really good. That worship song, man, that was awesome. Did you worship? No, I just, I just like listened. Oh, okay. That Bible study was amazing. It was so great just being around the people of God. It was awesome. Oh, did you like go and live out that Bible study? Oh, no, I just, I just liked it. There's a danger in being around the things of God and never actually doing it. Are you marveling at the things? Of, is it, are there things that are amazing, but it's from a distance? So we must be like the shepherds who experienced it firsthand. But then notice Mary's response when the shepherds told her what the angel said. She marveled, but she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. It means that she meditated deeply upon what was happening. As she's looking at this baby, and by all natural means, there ain't nothing, he ain't glowing. He ain't the cutest baby that's ever lived. And we know that. Why? Because the Bible describes that the Messiah, Isaiah 53, there is no extraordinary beauty about him. No one would have seen baby Jesus 
or seen Jesus, the man or the boy and, and seen him and said, wow, great looking person. No, he was, the Bible describes that he was extremely average in the way that he looked because that's not what drew people to Jesus. And so she looks at this baby and she's considering what just happened. These random shepherds experienced an angel encounter. She's thinking back to the message that the angel told her, the miracle that she experienced, the message that the angel told Joseph. And now she's just given to birth that would on the surface seems like any other baby boy, but now once again is faced with the supernatural encounter of these shepherds, finding the family in a random town, sharing with them what they experienced. There really probably were no words for Mary. And so she just kept them and pondered them in her heart. And we find that this was something she often did. And then finally, verse 20, we'll close here. They worshiped. Then look at your Bibles. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Finally, after they had heard, they had seen, and they had told, they did the only worthy response. They worshiped. They returned to their fields, but never to be the same. They had seen the one who would be the savior of the world. They had been the first ones beside his, besides his parents to see the long-awaited king. For hundreds and thousands of years prior, there was the promise of the one who would crush the head of the serpent, and they got to see him as a baby. And yet he was in a manger, born to lowly Galileans, and so I'm sure they came in and they said, this, what's going on here? Joseph, what do you do for work? Oh, I'm a carpenter. Mary, you're like, you're like 16. What's, what's going on? Yet, where are you guys from? Oh, we're from Nazareth. Nazareth? See, this would cause them to just simply glorify and praise God, recognize his greatness. And truly, as we think about Jesus, as we come to worship him in this way, this is the only worthy response. That when we hear and see the things that God has done in Jesus, we should just worship. Now, out of all, out of all the people that God could have dispatched an angel to announce the birth of the most important person to ever be born, he chose shepherds. Now to us, remember, we have that sweet sentiment but in that day, it would have been one of the lowest jobs you could have. It would have been looked down upon. It would have been despised. Why these shepherds? Well, I think one of the reasons is obvious. And it's the fact that they would respond. God knew that the shepherds would be faithful to go. They would go with haste. And even upon their return, they would make it known to other people. They would respond in worship. You know, especially in light of that passage we looked at in Matthew chapter 2 with the wise men. He knew that if he appeared to the high priest at the time, he appeared to the religious leaders, there'd be a chance that they wouldn't even go. I mean, think about that. Matthew 2, Jesus is now more of a toddler. He's under the age of two, but way past this moment. God sends wise men from miles and miles away to come and worship Jesus, and they 
could care less. You see, the shepherds would respond. Now, additional to this, I also think it shows us God's nature of not being a respecter of persons. You ever heard that before? That God is not a respecter of persons? It means that God doesn't play favorites. That when people get to heaven, he won't care how much money they had or how many followers they had or how famous they were. That probably the most famous people in heaven will be the most unrecognized people here on earth. God doesn't show partiality. He doesn't see like we see. You and I look at the external while the Bible tells us that God is always looking at the heart. First Corinthians chapter one, verses 26 through 29. I love this passage. Notice what it says. I know it's a little small, but follow along with me. Paul would say, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And then notice the end, verse 29, don't miss it. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Why would God choose the shepherds? because it would give God the most glory. God loves choosing the least likely. That's why he chose David in the same fields that he chose the shepherds. Why? It's because God is the one to get all the glory. You see the shepherds, they weren't boasting, we're the first ones first. No, they were excited because they got to see Jesus. The religious leaders they might have claimed that. They might, have, they might have built a church to themselves. First shepherds, you know, first religious leaders to see Jesus. Shepherds, not so. And the Bible says that God will share his glory with no one. It also signifies us of the humility of Jesus' coming. Rather than sounding the alarms to the elite of the society, it was those of a humble calling. Just do, what were the shepherds doing? They were doing what they were supposed to do. And they got the major announcement straight from heaven because Jesus' first coming was full of humility. Now, even more than that, I wonder if there's a connection to the fact that the Messiah came to be the good shepherd, right? John 10 Jesus says of himself, I am the good shepherd. And we know, according to John the Baptist and other passages, that Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It seems fitting, doesn't it? That the good news about God's shepherd and God's lamb be given first to these humble shepherds. Think of it. These shepherds going to see the good shepherd or the chief shepherd, as the Bible says. And they went and saw this baby who in heaven, according to the book of Revelation, will still be a man, but, it, but we're told that Jesus will appear as a lamb who appears that he had been slain or killed. See, even in heaven, even in eternity, Jesus will not only wear the badge of the lion of Judah, but the lamb of God. And so today, may you and I respond to the announcement of the word of God. May we go to see Jesus. We don't just sit back and talk about it, 
but that we experience him firsthand. May that cause us to be excited to tell others about him. And most importantly, may we glorify and praise him for the great things he has done. Amen? Amen. Father God, we, we worship you. We want to say to you, glory to God in the highest. You are great and there is no one greater. There's no one that even comes close, relatively close. You are God and there is none like you. You are the one who tells us the end from the beginning. God, you are the first and the last, the alpha, the omega, the most high God, the almighty and we worship you as such. And we thank you, God, that you are not so high and mighty that you're not willing to come to us. You have shown us, you have displayed immense humility in the fact that you would descend from heaven and allow yourself to be born into the world that you created. God, it's truly amazing. And it's the fact that you have a desire that all men would be saved. You are near. You desire peace on earth. And you know the only way is not going to be through politics. It's not going to be through government. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be from good people. It's going to be from Jesus coming that second time to establish his government of peace. And we look forward to that. God, but now we know that we can experience the peace of God that surpasses understanding. We thank you for that goodwill toward men. Lord, you love us. You're not against us. You are so for us, for us that you sent your son into this world to be born of a woman, born under the law to redeem us who were being crushed by the laws, by the commandments. We couldn't keep it. But God, you did it for us. That baby we know would go on to live perfect life, sinless, perfection. He would truly be the spotless lamb of God. He would be the Passover lamb. That as we know, that as we're covered by the blood of Jesus, we'll never experience death because you experienced it for us. God, we worship you this day in Jesus' name, amen.